Welcome to the Occult London Podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to exploring magic, mysticism, and Kabbalah, as well as other topics. If you like the podcast, please write a review and rate us on iTunes, as it will really help us to get this message out there. Also, be sure to visit our website at occultlondon.co.uk, where you can subscribe to the show. I hope you enjoy it. Over the past few weeks, we have been looking at astrology in relation to magic with a particular focus on its history and development and then also some of the symbolism and mythology behind the signs. As mentioned before, astrology is a vast subject which is a lifetime study to understand. So the purpose of these astrological episodes is not to be a fully comprehensive overview but rather an introduction to some of the concepts and also some of my own personal views on the subject. I'm not a professional astrologer um, nor by any means an expert on it however I do use certain aspects of it in my own spiritual practice so hopefully some of the themes I will be discussing might be of interest to some of you and hopefully they can give you some value. In today's episode we will be continuing our astrological series by talking a little bit about some of the magical uses of astrology and how it can be applied in practical work. Astrology has often been tarred with the brush of fatalism to a certain degree, whereby it has been seen to be part of the narrative that us humans have no control over what happens to us here on the earth, and that everything that has happened or will happen is written in the stars, and we have very little impact on what happens in our lives. However, this is not really the right approach We do have control and we can have a positive, a marvellous and a miraculous impact on our lives and literally, I think, almost create heaven here on earth if we so wish. As the great magician W.E. Butler wrote in his book Lords of Light, and I quote, Remember the old adage, the wise man rules his stars, only the fool obeys them, because you come under the dominion of the planets and the stellar systems doesn't mean you lose all your willpower. You don't become a puppet in their hands. These influences affect you, yes, they affect you in different ways, but you cannot be injured by them unless you allow yourself to be brainwashed into the belief. It must be so because it's in my stars. If Saturn is pressing heavily upon you, you can find a way to get out of the situation. You don't just lie down and let it do its damnedest. You adjust your conditions in order to lessen that Saturnian strain. You have to be like a sailor and steer against the wind by your own innate spiritual efforts. Another little motto is, The stars indicate, they do not compel. And that's a quote from W. Butler's Lords of Light. What I think Butler is saying is that we do have autonomy and we can affect our lives in a positive way that will shift us from being passive to active operators in the space between fate and free will. So how does this work? Well, before we discuss this, let's have a little look at what astrology is. As mentioned previously, 
there's many different types and branches of it, but essentially when it's boiled down, the majority of systems involve examining the position of celestial bodies to see how they influence internal or external manifestations upon the Earth. As Athanasius Kircher wrote, Heaven above, heaven below, stars above, stars below, all that is above, thus also below, understand this and be blessed. This episode is not going to be a full overview of astrology because it's an extremely complicated subject um, which would take an awful lot of time to go into in depth. But I wanted to introduce some of the key ideas so then we can incorporate that into some aspects of practical work. So to kick things off, to simplify it, there's essentially three levels. We have the top level, which is the planets the sources of light, the emanations of qualities, and these can really be thought of as being states of being and sources of particular types of power that is then diffused through the other levels of the chart. Also, how each of the planets interact is also important. In the planets, traditionally the Sun, Moon, Mercury and Venus and Mars are thought of as personal planets as their influence on the personality of the individual is quite easily seen. Jupiter and Saturn are considered to be more social planets as the influence is most apparent in facilities and also communities that surround and connect individuals. And then we have the outer planets which is Uranus, Neptune, Pluto which are obviously newer discoveries, but they're also considered to be more transpersonal and cultural and often connected with influencing sort of the deeper aspects of an individual, as well as major shifts within cultural and generational and epochs. Each of the planets has different characteristics and energies, and depending on their position in the sky in relation to you, and also each other, there will be different energies and different ways in which they affect things. And it's in relation to the planets that we also have the aspects coming forth, which are essentially ways to describe where the planets are and then also what they mean in combination with other planets. Aspects show on a chart basically how each of the planets are interacting with each other and from a traditional point of view, some aspects would be called harmonious and then some would also be called inharmonious. Or they're also sometimes described as being supportive or challenging. And aspects in really sort of simple terms show the state of being or action between the planets. So they're an angle, usually geometric, that one planet would make with another or between planets and also any other points on the horoscope wheel. And these aspects can obviously influence the planet positively or negatively. There's a lot more uh, complicated stuff in relation to aspects, including things like minor aspects, um, which we won't be going into this episode, but um, I recommend a book called The Power of Asteria um, by Andres Vilevichenko and Alejandro Virgilio. Apologies if I'm not pronouncing those names correctly. Um, which goes into this in quite a lot of detail, particularly in relation to practical um, magical work. Each of the planets has different qualities, and we did do episodes on these 
previously. So if you want to kind of listen to those, uh, that's a good kind of foundation. But just to quickly summarise again, so the sun is obviously the centre of the universe. This is the sense of the self, its purpose, aspiration. The sun is also the ruler of Leo. And it is also obviously Tiferet in the Kabbalah and connected with the archangels Mikhail or Raphael, depending on what uh, tradition you follow in. The sun, moon and Pluto, it's important to note, are also represented as planets. Then we move on to the moon. The moon, obviously, it's the ruler of the night. It's our emotions, it's our instincts, our habits. This is ruled by Cancer, Yesod on the Tree of Life, and also the sphere of the Archangel Gavriel. Then we move on to Mercury. This is the planet closest to the sun. Mercury governs all aspects of communications. It's logic, it's reasoning, it's learning. And... Communication obviously could include things like the internet and things like that. So it's often known for its uh, retrogrades and the kind of chaos they can cause. This is connected with Gemini and Virgo, um, Hod in the Kabbalah, and also the sphere of either Raphael or Mikhail, depending on which viewpoint you take. Then we come to Venus, the planet of love. The planet of Valentine's Day, which is coming up quite soon. And she influences relationships, she's harmony, and also things of beauty and luxury. Venus rules Taurus and Libra, Netzach, and the sphere of the Archangel of Love, Haniel. Then we move on to Mars. This is hot, it's fiery, it represents Aries, and it's all about drive. Can be to do with war as well. Um quite masculine types of energy but not necessarily from a kind of gender point of view um, and you know athleticism as well this traditionally ruled Scorpio and Gabura and the Archangel Kamael on the tree of life then we move to Jupiter this is the biggest of all the planets and obviously connected with you know the king of the gods as well and this is very much connected with obviously good fortune, expansion, morals. It's ruler of Sagittarius and Kesed on the tree of life and Zadkiel. And Kesed is obviously this, this loving beneficence, expansion and generosity. It's all kind of connected with that particular planet. Then we move to Saturn, which is quite a serious taskmaster it's all to do with careers government obligations duty responsibility and it's also known as the grandpa planet but um, saturn is the ruler of capricorn historically aquarius and on the tree of life it would be bina and safgiel and it's this kind of idea of almost like restriction but Often it can be restriction that's good, so it's kind of bringing you back onto your path, bringing you back into focus with those goals. Sometimes we need to just knuckle down. Then we come to Uranus, um, and this is uh, obviously one of the newer newer planets that was discovered. It's all to do with kind of eccentricity, originality, rebellion, and connected with Aquarius. And then Neptune, 
which is to do with illusion, change, confusion, and ruler of Pisces. And then finally, Pluto, which is the smallest and the furthest away planet governing Scorpio. And Pluto is very much connected with this sort of power transformation, death, rebirth, um, initiation. And interestingly, we're actually in a Pluto return at the moment as Pluto has just entered Capricorn. So it will be interesting to see what 2022 brings as this event only happens once every 248 years approximately. So that's the planets. So now we come to the star signs or the signs of the zodiac. And in the Western esoteric tradition, the zodiac is attributed to the fixed stars and was thought of as being the heaven directly below the premium mobile, which is attributed to Chokhmah in the Kabbalah. It's important to remember that the zodiac is not talking about the actual physical stars as is often commonly thought, but rather we are talking about 30 degree segments that mark the journey of the sun through the year. We have the two solstices and the equinox that act as anchors that set the order and the placement of the signs, which then creates a quartered circle. So if you divide each quarter into three, then you get 12. The signs starting in Aries and ending in Pisces working anti-clockwise and can be seen very much as being modes of human consciousness or almost like um, chords on a guitar or notes on a piano or a keyboard that bring about unique energies, unique expressions of higher planetary energies that sit behind them but also that modify the power of the planet behind them through unique combinations of an element, a modality and a polarity. So they're divided as follows. Um, so you've got your sun star sign, which normally kind of represents our outward appearance to the world and our main personality traits. And it also has connections with the higher self or the holy guardian angel. Then we have the moon sign, which is our sort of emotional world, our secret world, which we'll talk about later. And then you have your ascendant, which is the sort of rising sign, which is how others perceive you in the world. Each sign of the zodiac has a corresponding element connected with it. As we discussed in one of our previous episodes, the four elements from a magical perspective really represent the building blocks of material creation and also the primordial forces from which everything comes into being, balanced by an invisible fifth element, which is spirit. Also, it's really important to remember that although we may experience them as being separate, everything around us in the universe is a unique combination of all of the elements combining together as one. So when we as magicians do rituals such as the Lesser Banishing Ritual of the Pentagram or the Invoking Pentagram Rituals, they are designed to balance out these elemental forces, whereas the Banishing or Invoking Rituals of the Hexagram are designed to sort of draw in or, or channel planetary energies. If we continue our discussion on the zodiac, however, the water steins are Cancer, Scorpio and Pisces. Um, so these are kind of very emotional, intuitive signs. Earth signs would be Taurus, Virgo and Capricorn. So it's grounded, it's pragmatic, it's sensible often. Air signs would be Gemini, Libra and Aquarius, which is quite a sort of intellectual curiosity. Imagine like air floating through the air quickly. And then fire signs, Aries, Leo, Sagittarius, 
passionate, fiery, driven, gives impetus to start things but may not always finish them. It's this kind of explosive energy that will begin things but, um, you know, quickly burns out and moves on to another project. The signs also have modalities or qualities associated with them which can be cardinal, fixed or mutable. And the cardinal form is like the kind of initial spark that begins a new process or a new project. And the fixed maintains whilst the mutable element begins to sort of adapt the process. And the cardinal signs are Aries, Cancer, Libra and Capricorn. And these kind of really act as the leaders of new seasons. So they take the initiative, they begin things. The fixed signs then are Taurus, Leo, Scorpio and Aquarius. And these sit in the middle of the seasons and are much more sort of stable and consistent in their energies. And then finally we have the mutable, which is the Gemini, Virgo, Sagittarius and Pisces. And as we know, these sit in the last, the end days of seasons and are quite good at sort of bringing in changes, bringing in new energy and the winds of change, which then moves in back into the cardinal, bringing in the new energy. Um, elements also express themselves magically in an individual's chart through a number of placements in each triplicity in a chart. And different people have different amounts of energies depending on the elemental balance. So somebody with lots of fire could be really great at starting new projects, but not necessarily good at finishing things, or also sometimes at delegating tasks. And depending on the elemental balance of an individual, these are sometimes used in magical work. So, for example, um, Nick Farrell discusses these in his recent book, Helios Rising, whereby one would examine one's natal chart and then add up what elements are strongest or weakest, the purpose being to balance the elements within one's being to essentially draw in the fifth element of spirit or ether, or sometimes what's known as quintessence which essentially sort of acts as the gateway or the opener to this higher realm or holy guardian angel or higher diamond. And as part of those ceremonies, one would then seek to balance out the elements in one's chart by invoking the weaker elements, whilst the strong elements already one leaves as they are. As we know, each zodiac sign has its own traditional character types and attributes and I'm not going to go into these in this particular episode um, there's lots of different personality stuff which you can look at if you want to but these characteristics can be used not only to work out elements of your character depending on the sun moon rising signs with other planets in the natal chart but they can also be used to look at what the energy of a day a month a year will look like based on what your planets are in which signs and when and where and there's also some traditions who add additional signs into the zodiac so you have opiocus which is located between sagittarius and scorpio but generally speaking um, it's the 12 that people use the final level is the houses um, and these essentially give structure to the energies of the planets and the signs and also sort of represent various different areas or departments of life and the houses are 
in a simple way, the 12 wedges that make up the wheel of a chart that formed when the influence of a planet is filtered through a specific sign and falls into a precise time and a place. So when a certain planet is in one of your houses, its energy and its influence will be reflected and beamed into that area of your life and will have an effect. So each zodiac sign also has a main house that represents them most. Um, there's another good book uh, talking about astrology with magic by Evo Dominguez, which I recommend if people want to um, read more about it. But I just wanted to quote something he wrote about this in his book. In astrology, we say that each house is ruled by one of the signs. In your mind's eye, see these 12 celestial beings that are the signs taking aptitude tests before diving down into the workplace that we call Earth. The result of these aptitude tests would give a variety of jobs or tasks to which that sign is especially well suited. Those tasks, jobs and endeavours revealed in the aptitude tests are the themes of the 12 houses. The 12 houses represent different areas of life, tangible ways in which energy is expressed or received, the parts of the human body ruled by its corresponding sign and a myriad of other concrete expressions of the essence of the signs. So these are the most physical, the most tangible um, manifestations of the signs and the powers of the planets. I'm not going to go through each of the houses because it would take a long time, but um, to give you a quick idea, so the first house is the Ascendant, and this uh, it indicates kind of new beginnings, fresh starts, also how you appear from the out, outside world, your core values and also how others perceive you, and also your kind of personality, your ego, and from a magical perspective, it would be sort of the seat of the magical personality, which is this essentially something that you create and is developed through our magical work, through our spiritual work that acts as an interface between different parts of the self. And that's ruled by Aries. And as I said, you can go through these. There's lots of different books that will have um, details of the houses. So, um, yeah, go and go ahead and do that if you wish. So when we look at a chart, it shows us through the framework of these 12 houses where and also how astrological forces will impact a person's life at different levels. And it will also show us positively or negatively. So for example, the fourth house of cancer is caring and home loving. But if you had Mars in cancer, then that could potentially cause conflict. And because these houses show where and how certain forces will affect an individual from a magical, from a spiritual perspective, they can also be used as ways of predicting whether a certain ritual or a magical working or an initiation, whether it would go well or not. And also, you know, see what the trends are or the outcomes. So that's a broad overview of some of the important elements of astrology. So the big question is, how can we discover some ways of practically working with these energies? So one of the main questions when we're looking at, um, you know, sort of making changes to either to ourself or the, or the environment is, you know, what is magic? 
And this is a common question. It's obviously baffled magicians and mystics for hundreds of years, and there's lots of different interpretations. However, the most common definition of it is the art and science of making changes in consciousness in accordance with will. If this is the case, then we can say that magical approaches to astrology should primarily be focused on actively changing, actively influencing, actively enhancing or altering conditions to bring about more favourable conditions or to provide understanding or healing of ourselves. So how do we do this? So, well, before we go into that in detail, um, I think it's important to look at how astrological approaches might work and what sort of healing might look like. And a good model to explain this is one that's used by Benjamin Dykes and Jane Gibson in their book, Astrological Magic. In this book, they discuss the idea of a three-tiered cosmos, basically, to explain early thoughts on the subject. So on the lower end, we have material nature, our bodies, and the four elemental forces. At the secondary level, we have the astrological level, which is the signs and the planets. And then at the top, we have the higher realities, which is the god forms, the sephiroth, and these really kind of archetypal, um, archetypal powers, which then sort of provide stability and functions to the lower levels, and Dykes and Gibson describe how this three-tier cosmos has a kind of double movement, upwards and downwards, so kind of like a divine breath, where the higher levels introduce beauty, goodness and truth and organisation into the lower realms, whilst at the same time drawing up the lower aspects. And they describe this process as follows, I quote, for the astrological, this means that they reveal through time and other categories the content of the divine world. As for the movement upwards, this revelation of higher realities stimulates and inspires us to go beyond our normal way of life, engage with those eternal beings and use the higher functions of our soul or mind. When both of these movements are coordinated in the right way, our insights and enrichment upwards can be used consciously to organise, enhance and balance our values, behaviour and lives downwards. So what they're kind of saying from my perspective is the levels should not be seen as separate. However, they're all around us and essentially sort of intermingling with us all the time. Therefore, although the planet Mars is a visible planet above and behind Mars there essentially exists a, prior, a divine principle or divine blueprint through which Mars reveals its behaviour and appearance that is actively present in martial things and activities ruled by that planet in our world. And they describe this as follows, and I quote, These higher beings provide structure and organisation throughout these levels, but our everyday inability to be conscious of integrate and apply these levels in life is an important factor in our unhappiness and confusion and can make them seem distinct and foreign. Astrological magic can be a vehicle for changing this situation and that's um, Dykes and Gibson. So through astrology we can see how our own beings 
that exist in time are present or also sort of manifestations of the divine mind's plan and thus make an attempt to change it, to heal it. As the great mystic Rudolf Steiner once said, if we examine the structure of a person's brain clairvoyantly and could see that certain functions are located in certain places and give rise to certain processes, we would find that each person's brain is different. No two people have the same brain. If we could take a picture of the entire brain with all its details visible, we would get a different picture for each person. If we photographed a person's brain at the moment of birth and took a picture of the sky directly above his or her birthplace, the two pictures would be alike. The stars in the photograph of the sky would be arranged in the same way as certain parts of the brain in the other picture. Thus, our brain is really a picture of the heavens, and we each have a different picture depending on where and when we were born. This indicates that we are born out of the entire universe. And that's a quote from Rudolf Steiner talking about these individual elements that make up um, our sort of spiritual makeup. So how would we go about um, you know, doing this, making these changes? So how do we do this? Well, one of the more well-known methods of employing the forces of the stars and the planets is through quite a complex process that involves elections, which are very short, precise, targeted moments in time and space. And this is the method of the Picatrix, which is a 10th century Arabic magical text, PGM, and also um, various other medieval and Renaissance texts that teach magical methods. Using elections can have pretty impressive results, but it does rely on a very good knowledge of these astrological principles and transits, and you also need to be very accurate with the right time. And that's one of the reasons why many occultists and magicians don't like astrological magic, because if you're going to use elections, it's very difficult to do it whenever you want. You need to wait for a precise, exact time. Um, a good knowledge of these astrological elections is is really key to much of the traditional astrology and medieval magical work and also the many factors that go into electional horoscope, natal astrology and transits. An electional astrology, also called as inceptional, it's one of the oldest branches of the astrology and really the goal of these short targeted time periods known as elections was to select the most astrologically appropriate time to begin an activity to ensure the outcome that you want. In ages long past, these techniques would have been used primarily for affairs of state. So elections would be constructed to select the best time to go to war, to plant crops, or to hold a coronation of a king or a queen. Uh, and there are accounts of John Dee doing electional work to calculate the best time and date for the coronation of Elizabeth I. Electional work also requires the ability to work out what is the most favourite moment for a specific ritual. The use of the stars and decans and also horrier techniques, which are quite complicated and take a lot of time to master 
Um, horary astrology is essentially a magical technique for answering questions using only a chart cast for the time and place of the query and it can be very accurate as a means of answering different questions on relationships or jobs or finance. Um, as I said before we're not going to go into massive amounts of detail of this there is a lot of different sources out there for more information on this um, as I mentioned before the book The Power of Asteria is really good also um, the work of Nina Griffin, Christopher Warnock um, etc is they're all very good in terms of kind of digging more deeper into these another aspect of astrological magic is a practice known as astrological remediation which in a nutshell is the practice of strengthening the influence of positive or benefic planets and weakening the effects of others within a person's charts normally using things like propagation, talismans, or also service to others or relevant causes and charities. And this is quite a complicated subject. However, this is normally done um, with any planets that are receiving bad influences from Mars or Saturn, or also sometimes planets that are retrograde, or planets where they're in signs where they're not comfortable. And the idea that some placements are more difficult than others comes from the concept called essential dignity, whereby the the relationships between planets and signs will affect its characteristics. So, for example, Mercury and Pisces or Venus and Virgo. As mentioned before, one of the primary principles of hermetics and astrology is the concept of as above, so below which is believed to have originated from the mouth of Hermes Trismegistus himself. What this means really is that you know, what is happening above in the heavens is a reflection of what is happening down on earth and in our lives, not the cause. So it can be quite an empowering way of looking at things and this is part of what forms the theory of astrological remediation whereby one can heal and fix problems that we can see in a person's charts. It's a very specialist area and one that requires a lot of experience. Um, there's an excellent book on the subject called Astrological Remediation by Andrea Gertz, who describes astrological remediation as follows. The use of any method necessary to heal and soothe existing problems as indicated within the chart. This includes problems that have existed from birth or have come in through the main vibrations of travelling planets. So what are the travelling or transiting planets? So these are basically how your birth chart is affected by vibrations of transiting planets that form relationships with one, with one another. So an example would be the Saturn return, which obviously you know a lot of people moan about and you know don't like. However, it can be quite useful if you kind of um, switch your perspective on that and look at it in the terms of the end of something and the beginning of something new. As Judith, as the astrologer Judith Hill wrote, future occurrences are dependent upon the sort of seeds that are planted in each individual's garden. The seeds are understood to hatch under certain planetary weather systems. Outcomes then may be multifaceted and variable. 
So magicians can use astrological magical remediation to mitigate the impact of transit energies by essentially healing or balancing out that energetic imbalance. And the most common way of doing this is through a process called symbolic substitution that Gertz describes as follows. The substitution of hard planetary energies with easier or more fruitful expressions of the vibrations. And Gertz describes different techniques to do this, either active or passive. So active would refer to any kind of action-orientated activity, and passive would be something that fulfills an internal urge. And these are ways of dealing with the cause, which would not necessarily be magical. Um, so, for example, Gertz talks about a particular Mars-Neptune transit remediation in her book as follows. So Mars needs, is this is the need to be passionate, to instigate, sweat, rage, contend, move fast and express animal instincts. And then Neptune's needs is the need to snuggle, to sleep, channel art and music, merge with others, experience magic and miracles, feel inspired, seek divinity, seek transcendence, attend to the psychic and spiritual self and respond to vibrations. And as you can see from those two, there kind of is a clash in terms of complete opposites. So she, Gertz discusses possible remediations as being an active way would be, you know, practicing martial arts, you know, live action role play, Dungeons and Dragons, vigorous swimming, making perfumes, mixing scents, alchemy, tai chi, or sexual role playing. And then passive would be things like watching art movies, reading about energy work, taking, um, you know, creating flower essences for inflammatory problems and reiki. So it's this kind of idea of a, you can either kind of involve the body uh, in this very sort of um, martial aspects or there's other kind of more passive ways. With remediation, it also must be remembered that that nobody's chart is perfect. Um, everyone has different strengths and weaknesses, and that's also reflected in our stars. One of the powers of of this kind of process, however, is that it can be used to pinpoint areas you want to improve, and also help to create strategies to to overcome it. And this could be as simple as doing an activity associated with the planet, or wearing a scent burning a candle or carrying a talisman and we can use the same techniques to get in touch with any planet's energy that we want to experience more of in life so we can actively engage with the planets that we want to make better rather than actively encouraging more specific uh, malefic aspects so generally it's safest to work with planets such as jupiter venus and the sun these are positive planets. These are positive energies. However, um, Saturn and Mars should be not necessarily avoided, but um, you should be pretty careful with, with playing around with them because um, they can have more negative um, impacts. And some of the main planets, as we, as we discussed before, um, we went through them already. Um, they have specific energies. Um, and we did some episodes on the different planets so it's worth listening to those if you want to find out more about the you know different planets that you can work with 
Remedial astrology is a very complicated subject though, um, so it's not something you should mess around with. Um, it's best to study it with someone who is an expert in it. Um, Austin Coppock, Freedom Cole, Nina Griffin, they're all really good sources on this subject if people want to find out more about that. That's all we've got time for today. However, in next week's episode, we will be continuing with our discussion on some of the practical aspects of astrological magic by looking at more more information on medial magic and also some more magical approaches to unlocking the secrets of our stars, finding out our purpose upon the earth and also how we can aim to climb that ladder of knowledge towards the light that is the knowledge of the true self. To finish, I would like to end the episode with a poem by William Habington titled Hymn to the Stars. When I survey the bright celestial sphere, so rich with jewels hung, that night doth like a bride appear. My soul her wings doth spread and heavenward flies, the Almighty's mysteries, to read in the large volumes of the skies. No unregarded star contracts its light into so small a character removed far from our human sight. But if we steadfast look, we shall discern in it as in some holy book how man may heavenly knowledge learn. For the bright firmament shoots forth no flame, so silent but his eloquence in speaking the Creator's name. Thanks so much for joining us this week on the Occult London podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. Please make sure to visit our website at occultlondon.co.uk where you can subscribe to the show. Thank you and good night. <laughs>